So I think surfing, a bit like public speaking, presents you with a really unique opportunity to feel incredibly nervous by something that isn't in the least bit dangerous. Right. Welcome to Sweat the Technique. I'm Ravi Gupta, the CEO and founder of Lost Debate, the media company that's putting out this podcast. And I'm also the co-host of this podcast. And I'm joined with a few other educators who've had a lot of success in the K-12 space and in applying the lessons learned from getting kids to learn things better and teachers to become better at teaching better. And we've now been applying those lessons outside of education. And this podcast is all about that process of taking lessons learned about how to just get better at anything fast faster and apply it to all walks of life, whether it's hobbies, whether it's parenting, whether it's sports, you know, whether it's becoming a better manager. And, you know, each of these episodes, we try to talk to people who are inside and outside of the K to 12 system who are really, really excellent at teaching people something. And in this podcast, I'm interviewing a guy named Rue Hill, who is probably the foremost expert in the world on training people to be better surfers. And he founded and leads a surf school called Surf Simply in Costa Rica, which the New York Times and others have written about and talked about how this is probably the most successful surf school in the world ever. And Rue talks about in this podcast how he built this school the intentionality around how he takes people who are tackling surfing often late in life and how he's gotten them to be pretty good at surfing, to get to intermediate, in some cases, advanced surfing late in life and faster than almost anybody else, perhaps better than and faster than anybody else does. And this is personal for me because I learned to surf at Surf Simply a few years ago during the pandemic. I went down to Costa Rica when everything was shut down throughout the world and I learned to surf and stuck around for a while and became intermediate pretty fast. And a lot of people often ask me like, how did you become so like proficient? I don't wanna overstate my surfing. How did you become proficient so fast? And so much of it has to do with Rue and the way that he and the other people at Surf Simply think about teaching and learning in the surfing context. And if you're somebody who either surfs right now and wants to learn how to get better, wants to take up surfing in the future, or just isn't even interested in surfing and just wants to know, how do I learn anything better? You're going to find this podcast interesting. And the kinds of things you learn and Rue has to offer in learning to surf, you could apply to a lot of other complicated endeavors within sports and outside of sports. And in this podcast, we made a decision deliberately at a certain point to get really technical about surfing. And this was a conscious decision that we made. And I want you to stick with us whether you know surfing or not, because what I want you to glean from that conversation is not like all the ins and outs of surfing. What I want you to learn is just how important it is to assign names to specific skills, practice those skills, and have a strong theory about how you take people from beginner to intermediate to advance in those skills. So although you'll hear us throwing around terms, sometimes you might not understand, what I want you to think about is that episode that we did with Doug Lamov, our very first episode, and how he did the very same thing with teaching. And you'll see over time as we do this podcast that great teachers and people like Rue and people like Doug, they have the same moves, which is they break something seemingly complicated down into a series of discrete steps. They name those steps, they teach those steps, they repeat those steps, and they help people move along that continuum. We recorded this podcast down in Costa Rica and because of that, the audio is a little bit more challenging for this one. So it's a little bit more echoey. And I think at some point you might even hear like howler monkeys outside the window, but bear with us. It'll give you the authentic experience of being there. It's not that dramatic, but I just wanted to, to name that for you. But with all that said, 
with that huge windup, let's jump right in. Rue, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Well, Rue, I'm just going to come in right high and I'm, I'm going to ask you about William Finnegan, who I think you know, who wrote Barbarian Days, like the Pulitzer Prize winning book about surfing, said something to the effect of if you don't basically become a master at surfing by the time you're 14, then you're never going to really be great at surfing. It seems to me like your entire professional existence has been in part trying to disprove that. Am I wrong? <laughs> There's a couple of ways I could take that. You know, I, I think that Bill Finnegan's a great guy and I really enjoyed interviewing him for for our podcast. I think his book's fantastic. But, you know, the one thing I pushed back on him a little bit was there is this sense in the book that, you know, well, if you were born before Bill Finnegan, you didn't get to travel and really see what surfing could be. And if you were born after Bill Finnegan, well, by the time you got everywhere, it was really crowded. And right. if you didn't surf as well as Bill Finnegan, then you weren't at a level where you could really appreciate surfing. And if you were like a pro, you're in competition and you didn't really get the soulful side of surfing. So it was kind of like he'd drawn a Venn diagram that he lay right in the middle of. <laughs> and I say that with love and respect. I really enjoyed the book. And he's a, he's a great guy. But but yeah, it was interesting when I spoke to him, actually, he kind of pushed back against the idea of adult coaching in his book. And he was a big fan of surfing being learned implicitly as a youngster rather than explicitly as an adult. But then at the same time, at the end of his book, he talked about one of his most rewarding surfing experiences being out at cloud break in Fiji when one of the local guides helped him line up a wave and, you know, he got the wave of his life. Uh, and in the same chapter of the book, he he sort of talked about adults going to Costa Rica, he actually said, to learn to surf, you know, and they, they really missed the point. And I think that he didn't realize what he was doing there was adult learning. That was explicit instruction from a coach. And that was his best surfing experience. So, yeah, I think that a lot of people miss the 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 explicit teaching that they have because they don't internally categorize it as coaching. My opinion is, you know, of course, if you start younger and you're surfing every day in fantastic waves as a teenager, you're going to be able to be much better than someone who's starting in their 40s and 50s. But without sounding too corny, you know, you can get a huge amount out of surfing, and as with most activities in life, without getting to an elite level. You know, the, the better you get, the more fun it is. But I think that we all get in the habit a little bit of getting good at stuff when we're young, where we're being pushed by parents and teachers into doing things that we're uncomfortable doing. And then when we get older, we sort of get lazy and we only want to do the things we're good at because we're afraid of looking bad at them. And, you know, I think being a beginner as an adult is one of the best gifts you can give yourself, whether it's surfing or anything else. Yeah, and it's fascinating because surfing is, is one of the sports with some of the highest barriers to entry, in a sense, because you have to be near the water. There's a mental barrier. You know, I, would, I was telling somebody the other day, like learning to surf was by far the hardest sport I've ever had to learn, not because of how physically difficult it is. It is physically difficult, but how mentally difficult it is to go out, especially in bigger waves and paddle out, just like the idea of getting torn under the water. How did you get to the point where you yourself, you know, I think learned to surf when you were young in the UK to the point where you basically now are running probably the world's best surf camp where you've like broken it down to a science. Like what was that A to B to get to the point where you yourself were surfing to where you were starting to break it into a series of discrete skills? Well, first of all, I actually started surfing relatively later in life. I was sort of 18, 19 when I came to it. So I wasn't, you know, one of these kids at seven years old, like John John going out of pipeline. And I think that's actually a part of the reason why surf simply has worked. 
because we get a lot of applications of people who want to come and work as surf coaches from, you know, former pro level surfers. And honestly, they're not always the best coaches. There's a quote I love from, I think it's the footballer Bobby Charlton, who won the, the 1966 World Cup. And they said, why didn't you go into coaching afterwards? And he said, well, because I find football really easy. Well, in my opinion, I'm not a naturally gifted surfer. You know, I've worked really hard at it. And so when I got into coaching in my early 20s, it was still very fresh in my mind how hard this sport is and having to clumsily figure out how to do everything. And so when I was explaining it, I, I wasn't so far removed from, from that initial entry-level process myself. The roadmap to getting to where Surf Simply is now and this method that we have, uh, I'll, give, I'll give you the short version. So, Well, before you do that, let me actually give the, the disclaimer that we're, we're having this interview in Costa Rica. And so if people could pick up the birds that are in the background, <laughs> there are birds chirping outside of here. So just in case you hear that, just for the audience, those are... We're in the middle of uh, sort of the rainforest. Yeah, and, and as well for context, yeah. we're only about 100 meters away from the ocean where I saw you out surfing at sunrise this morning. Oh, you were out there. I didn't see you. I don't know. If, I was a bit further south. Oh, okay. I saw you navigate a particularly like steep drop. Beautiful. Did I make it? Oh, made okay. it. I can, and I can see your yellow board. So I'm yeah. like, oh, that's rubbish. That's cool. Yeah, it was low tide. I, t I tend not to try to go out low tide, but I'm back to work now. So I basically take the tide as it is, which in and of itself, I was telling somebody out in the lineup, by Lena, who you know, I was just like, you know what I like going out on these days now because that's I think part of what it takes to be better is every series of bad conditions teaches you something new and like low tide for instance teaches you to pop up faster and teaches you to deal with more powerful waves sometimes like this morning I thought it was like more powerful than some of these mid tide and high tides so I'm trying to embrace that now and then I'm spending more time here if that makes any sense. Yeah that's exactly the way to think about it and adjusting the goal that you're setting for each session based on what conditions are presenting yourself with and we can circle back to this later but you know, surfing more than any other sport. Like when you play tennis, you go out in the tennis court and you want to, you know, hit the same shot as many times as you, as you can. That's true in most sports. You know, you went out this morning at low tide where the waves were breaking really, really steep and fast and they weren't offering a lot of down the line opportunities, you know, to surf across the wave face. And just to actually make the drop, navigate it without the nose going in and be standing at the bottom of the wave is as impressive as going out on a high tide day when it's softer and perhaps going down the line and doing a turn. So, you know, adjusting your goals according to what the ocean is presenting you with is one of the, one of surfing's richest lessons. And there's probably some like life metaphor in there yeah. somewhere else, <laughs> I guess. Well, and your camp, and I know that we're taking you on a segue, is so fascinating to me because when I came, I learned to surf at Surf Simply, your camp. And I know that we're cutting ahead. And I came in November when it was particularly tough conditions. And, and I often, you know, Tommy, who is one of my coaches at Surf Simply, He'll routinely remind me in the water now where I'm kind of bitching about how big it is, that it was bigger the first week I was surfing than it is any day now that I won't go out. <laughs> I just didn't know the difference. And what's cool about your camp is you're like, we go out, like people come for a week and part of the pressure is like, you're coming in or surf. So if it's raining, we're going out and surfing. If it's big, we're going out and surfing and, and you'll do what you can to take people to different towns and stuff to get better waves. But it's like rain or shine, we're going out there, you know? Yeah, and you know, surfing is far more intimidating than it is dangerous. Yeah. I mean, you know, people always feel like you're gonna die when one of those huge waves is coming at you. But you know, we've been doing this for 15 years. I've been coaching for 25 years, a little bit more than that. I mean, you know, no one, no one's ever actually got injured by a wave hitting them or been held underwater. It's it, the other boards. <laughs> it's, it's the other boards. Small conditions sometimes. More people is more dangerous sometimes yeah. than the big waves. And to be honest with you, most of the accidents happen in knee depth water when someone's not paying attention and a board just pops up sideways and catches them in the arm or something yeah. like that. The, the things that are dangerous are not the things that are scary. Um, yeah. So I think surfing, a bit like public speaking, 
presents you with a really unique opportunity to feel incredibly nervous by something that isn't in the least bit dangerous. Right. Which, uh, I don't know if you're into the ancient Stoics, but they would advocate putting yourself in those situations as often as possible when you find the opportunity to. Yeah, it, it really is such a mental mentally challenging and also rewarding sport in that sense. I, I, I have friends here now who are learning to surf for the first time. And I, it, it took me back to just how intimidating it is and, and how rewarding it is to figure that out. There's one thing that you guys do at Surf Simply that I talk about all the time, which is you, in the first week you go there, you have us hold our breath and count and just count how long you could hold your breath above water. And then the reason why you do that, among many other reasons, I imagine, is if when you get pulled under the water, you start to panic. And what you teach us to do is just to count and compare it to what you know you're capable of doing. And what you find is you're maybe pulled underwater for five seconds, 10 seconds, and then you can hold your breath for over a minute. So it calms you down. And it, it really is. This is so corny, but it is a metaphor for life. It's like, all right, sometimes like you're, you could be your own worst enemy. And that's what I think like the people I've seen who put themselves in situations where they are at risk of drowning often panic. And that's part of the issue. So it's almost like meditation in the water in a sense. Not now I'm getting really corny. So maybe no, I'll start, yeah. and, and actually, you know, I would just to sort of sharpen that up, I would say that you're actually doing a specific type of meditation, which is just to meditate on some specific fact that you know to be true and you can hold on to it sort of like a, like a lighthouse in a, in a storm of chaos. Uh, and again, I, I do think it's something that translates to life. You know, in that instance that you just said, you know that you can hold your breath for at least a minute, probably two. And the longest hold down you're ever going to have on a huge wave is probably going to be a quarter of that at the very, very most, probably like three seconds. And the amount of times we have guests go out there who come in and they say, you said I'd be only under for three seconds. And I, I counted, I was under for 30 seconds. And we, we play the video back and you're like, one, two, three, and then, you know, they pop up and they're like, oh my God, you know. But, um, you know, in, in the broader world and in life, whether you're in a heated discussion with someone or reacting to a situation emotionally or trying to make sense of, you know, the political chaos around us, if, if you can actually have a, a fact that you can kind of hold on to like a handle when your emotions are spinning out of control, I, I think that that's a, a certain type of meditation and a very powerful thing to have in your toolkit. Yeah, it's amazing now where I, I get out there now and I get pulled under and sometimes it's the most enjoyable experience. Yes, yeah, you know? I really enjoy it. I will quite often throw myself over the falls on big waves because I just love getting rumbled around yeah. the water and because I know I'm always going to come up. Yeah, as long as you know where to position yourself relative to your board, the board is the dangerous part of it all. Yeah. So, okay, taking it back. So you moved here, This some of this could be apocryphal, but... You moved here in 2007, is that right? Yeah, so to take it just one step back, so I was working in the UK teaching surfing in Cornwall and I was doing the sort of classic entry-level style beginner lessons. Is that where you're from? Yeah, I grew up in Bristol actually and I used to spend my summers in Cornwall, which is where you know most of the surf in the UK is. And your American listeners will be will recognize the sort of Pirate accents, that's yes, a Cornish yeah. accent. So. That's where uh, Penzance and all this, like, exactly. all this stuff was written. Yeah. It's a beautiful area. I've, I've always recommend it to people. It is. It's beautiful in September if you're going to visit it. That's, that's the time to go. Yeah. But anyway. Gorgeous area. So yeah, I was, I was doing sort of entry-level lessons. And I was also lucky enough to be working with the British junior team at the same time. So I was doing that kind of elite-level coaching where you're on the beach with a video camera and then the sort of teaching people to stand up in the white water. And it just quickly became apparent to me that there was no line from one to the other. So I became really interested in the figuring out how to connect the dots. That's where I 
sort of slowly evolved what we now call the surf simile tree of knowledge, which is a kind of a, we actually have it on the resort, as you've seen, it's about 15 meters long, 10 meters long, you know, and there's two meters, two or three meters high in, in relief on, on that wall of the yoga studio. And it just gives you a roadmap of first day ever picking up a surfboard all the way to at a level where you can go out and get video. And it's basically as a level capacitor. zero to four, right? It breaks surfing into five levels, I guess, if you count zero. More or less. We have level one is how you get the board to do what you want it to do, learning what we call the secret buttons are, the brake, the accelerator. You know, a lot of conventional surf lessons, they, they teach people to stand up on a board, which isn't really how you should learn how to surf. It's a, it's a fun day if you just want that photo and then you don't want to surf again. But if you really want to learn how to surf, you, you have to understand that surfing is the game of seeing how close you can get your board to the white water without getting stuck in the white water. That's the game that the best surfers in the world are playing when they're on that unbroken part of the wave. So the first thing we teach entry level surfers to do is to move their weight around on the board and understand that there's actually a, a brake and a, there's two types of steering wheel and there's an accelerator and there's all of those kind of nuanced little buttons in between. And then level two is we start start getting them catching unbroken waves, catching waves before they break rather than whitewater waves. Level three is when they're catching waves out the back, sort of the green waves on their own, and the coach is then on the beach with a camera rather than next to them in the water. And level four is performing maneuvers and trying to put the board in the critical part of the wave. So they're already doing horizontal maneuvers like floaters and cutbacks, but now they're trying to do more critical ones in the critical part of the wave. Yeah, and so just to define another term, when you talk about level three, when you talk about out the back, this is like a critical part of learning to surf is, it's weird because I think like the first couple of days of surfing, learning to surf are really, really fun because you're like, oh, I've never had the sensation of even being pulled on a board. And then I think there are, there, it can get difficult and taxing for a little while as you learn to paddle out and what you say, go out the back, which is kind of go behind the waves before they break. And I think that's the tricky part where the mental games start to come into play. Like it's like, all right, I've got a you know turtle roll. Uh, if you're using a longboard as a wave is crashing over me, I need to learn how to get pulled under the water. I'm going to get more tired because like you start to realize that like, paddling, like surfing is really paddling and hanging around waiting. Like it's almost like American baseball, you know, it's like there's so much waiting involved and like that's so much of surfing and you have to learn to love all those little moments. But I think if I look back at my own experience, like I had to figure out I loved that stuff. At first, you're just kind of intimidated by all of that, you know? And when you first go out there, that whole environment is so overwhelming. And not only do you not know how to do stuff, you don't even know what you should be trying to right. do in any given moment. And I think that's one of the things that really attracted me to teaching surfing specifically. I'm really interested in things that seem so complicated and intangible. And, and I love seeing people who are able to actually break them down into tangible bite-sized chunks. I I was lucky enough, I went to art college before I was, you know, in, in another life. And I was lucky enough to have an amazing art teacher. And uh, and he said something that, that really formed how we approach coaching surfing at Surf Simply. He said, you guys are, you know, you're 19 years old. You've got nothing really interesting to tell the world. So <laughs> we're not going to worry about being like creative, tortured, artistic geniuses. We're just going to teach you how to use a camera, how to use paint, how to use, you know, clay and wood and metal. So that when you have got something interesting to say, you've got the technical ability to then say it. 
And I thought that was a really great lesson. So, you know, when I started teaching surfing, I approached it with the same, in the same way. There's a lot of people who, who get very caught up in the, what kind of style do I want to be? What type right, of surfer sure, do I want to be? And I'd be like, just let's actually give you all the technical skills so that you can then choose what kind of surfer you want to be. You know, what's amazing is your tree of knowledge that we have a term for it in K to 12 education, we call it a scope and sequence. Okay. And the best schools will be incredibly detailed in the way you are about A to B, but it's so rare to find it really for people who take, like I'm learning uh, tennis this year, this past year, I've been learning tennis. It's rare to find, and it's actually really hard to find anybody who's been like, all right, here's the A to B in the sequence in which you might want to go about mastering a certain set of skills. And actually some of the best books on tennis kind of remind me of the best books on surfing. They're kind of like Finnegan's Barbarian Days. They're like poetic, they're interesting. They make you want to surf. They make you want to play tennis, but they're not very helpful when you're like, well, I literally need to swing the racket right now with the advent of YouTube, like your surf camp kind of predates. I mean, you're kind of coming up just as YouTube's coming up, but like, it's not the YouTube of today where there's like thousands and thousands of people trying to teach skills. You basically had to start from the beginning and be like, all right, there's not this treasure trove of a million people trying to succinctly describe this one skill. And I'm probably overstating it now as somebody who looks at a lot of surf videos. It's shocking that it still isn't that great out there. Like you guys are putting up amazing content. It, there's a lot of like nonsense on the internet with huge amounts of views. It's funny, as you were saying that, I was just remembering the, the, the first series of, of coaching videos that we posted on YouTube, I think it was in like 2010. And they did really well and they got a lot of traction. But I remember before I recorded them, there wasn't the phenomenon of people teaching stuff on YouTube. Like people didn't go to yeah. YouTube to learn stuff. And, I, and we were like... No, I wonder if we post like teaching videos on YouTube. Do you think people would look stuff up on you? And that was like, yeah, I guess we could try and do that, you know? I've noticed that your videos have gotten more popular recently, at least on Instagram. I've noticed like a huge pickup. And this gets to a little bit of your theory of learning I've always been fascinated by, which is you've been almost anti-scale in a way that I really respect. You built a surf camp that has been wildly successful. Most people I know will say it is the premier surf camp in the world. And I like I had an experience. I was in Barbados surfing. I was wearing my Surf Simply rash guard in Barbados. And I, the guy who was running the, the like little board shop that was giving away boards was like, whoa, you know Surf Simply? I was like, yeah, yeah I did just learned how uh, to surf there. Cool. And he was quoting back to me the levels that you guys have on your tree of knowledge. You've reached scale before you even got to the point where you're reaching a mass audience. People were talking about this framework that you had. Was that your experience? Have you seen that too? Like I, I've noticed this where I go places, people are so familiar with it, even if they haven't been to the camp. It's really cool when I talk to other people in the surf industry and they're quoting back like our level system that we came up with as just, I mean, that's just how we talk about surfing now from a coaching point of view. That makes me feel really, really stoked, you know, and um, we get a lot of people reach out as well who, who you know, in the industry who, who want help with stuff that we speak with the WSL a lot. And actually one of our former coaches who you know really well, Harrison Abbey is over at the WSL. He's at, yeah, he's at Kelly Slater's pool, right? Yeah, yeah, helping them put their coaching program together. Um, That's so, good. I did that pool in February. I was way outclassed there, but I got one good wave. <laughs> did, did you manage to get a little view from inside a barrel? Did you see that? No, because I did it at night where they have less video on you. 
But I got, there was a guy in a jet ski who caught it. Oh, and yeah. I was like, I was like no, close I mean, did, to getting did, did the barrel. Did you get the view when oh. you were inside the barrel and you got to look out and see the lip? Oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. Yeah, it cool. was beautiful. But I'm I'm not a shortboarder yet, at least. So I, it's a tough wave when you do the advanced wave without, yeah. you know, we don't have to go all into that. But I, Harrison's a good example. Yeah, so he's yeah. one of your guys. He's going over there. Like they have a lot going from over there, but I think they would even admit that their coaching isn't there yet. And he's hopefully going to help level it's up a, your system there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the, the bottom line is it, it's it is really hard. It has been really hard to put together a, a system for coaching surfing, precisely because the tennis court is not the same every time. Yeah. So you have to kind of take a step back. And when we put together our tree of knowledge, which actually originally I built as a tool for teaching coaches, not for teaching surfers, and then I found myself very often bringing the surfers sort of round the back of the shop and showing them how I would teach the coaches and going, look, this, this is why we teach. And then I was like, wait, this is a great teaching tool. It's also motivational. I would say yeah, like when I showed up at your map makes so much difference. Yeah. You can see why you're spending hours. Like, you know, you talked how difficult it was the first time you went out the back. You can see why you're doing it because you're like, Oh, this is going to lead to this. And then this, and then this. Yeah. And when you reach a new milestone and sometimes it's like hot air from the coaches who are trying to motivate you be like, Oh, you've reached say, level two. And I'm like, Oh, I'm level two today. It's like such a big deal, you know? And so you, you, it's almost like karate belts. You're like, all right, I'm, I'm ascending some kind of ladder and getting better over time because sometimes it could be demoralizing. Like yeah. I came back here, you know, this is like my third year surfing now. And like anything, I, you saw me one of those days out there, I was like out of surf shape and whatever. And then like a week later I did a cutback and I almost came back the other, but I did like a really aggressive carve, which is something that if just doing it once was a really big goal to me, even though I can't do it every time. And then I'm like, okay, check that off the box. I know what I want to do next. And it, that's like fulfilling in so many different ways. You yeah. Know? And, and I think, you know, when you're thinking about each one of those steps on the, on the tree of knowledge and, and again, to, to just to go back to the point you were making before about how it doesn't really exist anywhere else. The reason it's taken such a long time to put it together is because every step and every possible route that you can make your way across that tree has to be almost sort of algorithmically prompted by the conditions mm. rather than just a solid state. Then you're going to do this, then this, then this, because you might not have the conditions for six months to do one of those boxes. So it's like, well, where'd you go next? So it has to be a much more kind of fluid thing. And there has to be a lot more, well, if this, then this kind of moment. Right. There. And it's also helpful. So like, you know, another example is when I left Surf Simply, I did two weeks there. I started working with another one of your former coaches named Ollie, who's awesome. And like every coach has something that they're really good at you know we were talking about this offline before we started recording and one of the things that he i've noticed from him after having worked with a bunch of coaches now over the past few years is he is really really good at focusing on the basics early and, and saying no your foot needs to land in the exact same spot over and over and over again and i think the tree of knowledge helps you situate that and be like look i know this is going to be tedious and i know that you want to get to x y and z and you'll get there but if your foot lands in the middle of the board continuously here's this other thing that's in that next level that you're going to be able to do really well you're going to be able to trim the line or get a high line or do cutbacks better or whatever accelerate better if your foot is here so it's like an easy way to explain why certain things early on that could feel tedious are really important yeah and and I, and I think actually that speaks to something that's really important about coaching and teaching in general and i think this is the problem with a lot of the surf coaching content that you'll find online is that Whenever you're performing a skill, whether it's doing a comeback on a surfboard or baking a cake or playing a violin, there's, there's a lot of things that you're doing. There's a million things you're doing and you can't possibly look at it 
process all thousand things and do them all. Right. So the, the job of a coach is to say, okay, well, what's your limiting factor? What's the one thing holding you back where everything else moved forward? That wouldn't. Or what's the most common mistake people are going to make and therefore what things should we address first, you know, if you're someone that hasn't attempted this skill before and so the limiting factor is not obvious. So the job of a really good coach is to look at that video of someone doing a cutback and say, all right, Ravi, when you, when you try and do this, I know from experience you're going to make these two mistakes. So let's just not make those and don't worry if you make other mistakes. Yeah. Whereas what you see online with most coaching is just someone who's a very good surfer describing how someone's doing a cutback with equal weight given to all of the parts of the maneuver, right. which just isn't helpful because some parts of a maneuver are really intuitive and some of them are the most counterintuitive thing in the world. Yeah. And it, it's, I, I think it takes a lot of discipline in any teaching to isolate skills and not overwhelm people with too much feedback. I think you guys do such a great job of that. I think it's a good segue to talk about the way you structure this camp, right? Surf Simply. Do we call it a camp? How do we call it? Seriously. I like to call it a resort. A resort. You know, it is a nice place. Yeah, it's, just, <laughs> it's a little bit nicer than a camp. It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it is a beautiful place. And it's such a thoughtfully designed experience. I hesitate to even describe it from my experience. Maybe I'll just kick it to you to talk about like, all right, walk me through a typical day in the life of somebody at Surf Simply. And my sense is there's like roughly 12 to 15 people at a time. Is that right? We actually, yeah, we cap the numbers at 12 each week. We have we have a team of nine coaches and, and we have a maximum of 12 guests. And in the past, we actually had a few more. We tried like 14, 15, but it just feels a little bit too busy. And it's really important that people don't feel like they're kind of cattle, you know? And maybe I'll just pause there before we even get into the design because the business aspect of that, which is not what we really talk about here, is always fascinating to me for you because it's like you have had to have had a ton of people approach you and be like, let's scale, let's do Malibu surf simply and this and that. And you've resisted that, which I find really fascinating, I think rightly, because I, my sense is, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that you, you resisted that because the quality of the program probably would degrade if you scale too fast. Yeah, I, l let me give you let me give you two answers: the noble sounding answer, and then the less noble sounding answer. Right. <laughs> so the, the noble the noble answer, which is true, is I and the the team because we you know this is a decision we've made together. We really love the project of trying to make this thing better and better, incrementally improving, like lots of details week on week and so that year on year, you know, it's just a better experience. And it's so fun, you know, yeah. um, growing something so that, okay, let's make a, a PDF that's how you do everything and then let's try and roll it out in five locations is just not fun. Yeah. And I speak a personal experience. So I was a school principal of one school I started, loved it. School was awesome. We scaled to six schools in six years not fun and the quality degraded. So that's why I, I look at what you've done and I admire it so much because it takes so much discipline. And I was young and stupid and my board was trying to talk me out of it the whole time. They're like, ah, oh, you're just too ambitious. And it was interesting because like our sixth school is actually one of our best ones, but the ones in between weren't. And, and I learned also that I personally, because part of it is like, what are you passionate about? I personally love running one place better. I like knowing everybody's names. I like knowing exactly like the design of the school, the curriculum we're picking. And at a certain point, you can't keep all the details in yeah, your head. That's the really fun part. And I guess the less noble thing is, you know, I get such a kick out of seeing how much people enjoy Surf Simply, but how impressed they are by Surf Simply. Yeah. You know, we chat with all, I chat with all the guests at the end of the week. And I mean, I'm, I'm not too proud to say when they come up and they're like, this was, you know, the best experience of my life. I get a little warm, fuzzy yeah, glow course, inside. Yeah. I feel really good. And like, it I is life-changing without a doubt. Like, and I'm not just blowing smoke. It has changed this town. So many of us in this town, Playa Guiones, Costa Rica, so many of the people in this town 
came here because of Surf Simply. You know, I'm one of them. I've been now, I, I came here for six months. I, I came here for two weeks originally, thinking I was going to be here for two weeks after the, the 2020 election. And I stayed for six months. And now I've been back every year since for like huge chunks of the winter. And I'm not alone. Like so many of us came here because of you. It is cool when I walk around and I bump into so many people that, that came here through Surf Simply or have been positively affected by Surf Simply in some way. Or, you know, there's a lot of businesses where people worked for Surf Simply for a while and then started their own thing, like Tommy and Ollie, who you know. For sure, uh, yeah. You know, and I always try and give them as much support as they can in what they're doing. So, you know, I, I you know, I love the community and the town here, and that, that, all, that all feels pretty yeah, and you guys as well. And why would you trade that in for having... No, I know, you're so smart about it. in the bank and, you know, lots of headaches. And, <laughs> yeah, you're and, so smart about it. And, and I honestly think you're going to reach scale anyway through just the way that you guys are sharing content. It, it's just only a matter of time before, and then you're starting to see a pickup now, like before people are like, all right, those, there's something different about those videos than the other videos. And I see that you guys are investing in it a little bit more than ever before. And I think that's smart. And it's like, and it doesn't degrade the quality of the program at all. In some ways it enhances it because you guys are sitting on top of so much footage, which maybe gets a good uh, segue to the, the typical experience. Like you guys are huge on video, but that's not, that's not it. I think you guys get pegged as like this high tech surf camp, which I think is true. But I think it's missing, I think, the the secret sauce about what happens at Surf Simply. Well, um, there's, there's a few things to touch on there. One of them I would say is, you know, you mentioned that we'd invested heavily in video. Actually, it's kind of true. I used to advertise, you know, on, online advertising and all that. And then at a certain point, I think in like 2018, we were building our new resort. And I just, you know, the budget was getting tight. And I was like, let's switch off all the advertising. And I was like, it doesn't make too much difference. No. And then when we had our advertising budget come back, I was like, you know what? I'm going to invest all of that money in the people that do the media team in Callum. And, and yeah, he's guys. doing such a good job. Yeah. Man. And then, you know, with the equipment and the support and the motivation, all of that new content you've seen, that's not some top down strategy. That's Callum just being like, I love this. I wonder what I, how much can I, can I pick up and run with what I can do with Instagram. And it's the same in the kitchen and it's the same, you know, with, with Harry and Jesse and the coaching team. You know, if I, if I was to get hit by a bus tomorrow, those guys would be sailing under their own wind at this stage. And that's the thing I'm actually the most proud of. To, to go back to the sort of the, the resort experience. So, you know, a typical day, you're surfing in the morning and then you'll be videoed by usually four or five cameras. I'll quite often be in the water and a drone and on the beach. And then you'll come back up and have your breakfast and while you're eating, the coaches will be uploading all of that footage and then creating a video project, you know, in, in um, Final Cut, which will then be used to give you your, your theory lesson later in the day, which will be sort of picking up whatever it is you're working on. And as I said, the coaching groups like one or two. Yeah. So a theory to, to sort of double down on that is, you know, you get into a room with a coach. Sometimes it's one-on-one, -on -one, which was my experience because I think I was the only true beginner in our group. And sometimes it'll be one-on-two, one coach with two people. They'll show you your footage and you'll break it down. And then you'll potentially watch footage of other, like more expert surfers, which showing either the thing you're focusing on now or what they want you to focus on next. And sometimes there'll be some physical practice, right? You'll be like, all right, if I'm working on cutbacks, I'm going to go outside on a board on the ground and I'm going to kind of practice above ground. Or if I'm trying to practice turtle rolling, we're going to get in the pool together and stuff like that. So it's a way like outside of water to work on the skills inside of water. Is yeah, that, is that exactly. Kind of there are things that are it? just much easier to explain with a TV screen and a, and a video than when you're actually out in the water talking to someone. So we do that and then we have lunch, we have stretch sessions that are geared around you know, surfing. All of the guests have a couple of massages through the week that we schedule in. Then we go surfing again in the afternoon, then kind of come back for the, for the meal. But I think what, what makes that whole experience 
particularly special is when, and I think this is a broader point for teaching, people don't learn as soon as their defenses are up. And so in creating that whole experience, what I've really tried to do is, what we've tried to do is make an experience where people feel completely looked after and like all of those defenses need to come down. And we do it in like a thousand little ways. And I'll just give you one example that may not immediately seem like it's connected to teaching, but it is. So when you go to a resort and you go down to the bar and you order a beer or whatever or a coffee, and then they give you the little thing and you have to sign and you know it's going on the bill or you get your massage and then there's a tip and how much do you tip? And there's all those little moments of friction where you're just reminded I'm having a great time and they're looking after me, but they're on the resort team and they're here to make money. Then I'm on the guest team and I need to just be watching what I'm spending. Otherwise I could easily end up with a crazy bill. So when you come to Surf Simply, you just pay everything up in advance, like six months before you arrive. You don't open your wallet the whole time that you're there. And then if you want to organize extra stuff, we'll organize it for you, organize it for you. We don't charge. You grab whatever drinks you want to grab, whatever food you want to grab. We organize all your meals for you. And, you know, the one thing we hear over and over again from our guests is like, you know, I arrived my first time and I'm used to going to resorts and just being like, I need to make sure I get what I'm supposed to get. And with you guys, you're looking after me and I, I feel like I've, I'm staying at my best friend's house and want me to have a great time. And all of the defenses that people carry by default through their life drop away. And sometimes, you know, people have like a bit of an emotional moment sometimes we sometimes call it Tuesday tears you know when they were with their coach and other stuff in life can come bubbling up yeah but more importantly from a teaching point of view with all the defenses down people learn so much better and you know speaking of the teachers you have probably among the highest demand in terms of people applying for positions as they're simply to, to be your coaches you know I, I I just from what I could tell you've got people coming from all over the world to come teach for you what do you look for in a teacher well when people apply the first thing we make them do is make them send us a video first of them surfing so we can see that they, they're a good level surfer and then they have to make us a video of something that has nothing to do with surfing but they have to be explaining something and it has to be funny and concise oh, so funny when we were hiring teachers we used to make people we'd come in and we would make them teach a first grader what the concept of insurance is but we wouldn't have them prepare we'd just be like on the spot explain what insurance is so that was our version of that not as funny but just trying to make people think on the spot without the preparation yeah, yeah. so you know obviously they've got to have that understanding of surfing but they have to be able to communicate and they have to be really personable and again one of the other big pieces of the puzzle is as well as people having their defenses down people have to feel like this person really cares about me this person's really here because they genuinely care about how well i do you know when i go and do courses i, I enjoy going and doing adult courses and learning other stuff because it's really good to be on that side of the experience and i always have this feeling like is this person that's teaching me secretly thinking like when can i just get out of here yeah this guy is a difficult student or I'm, i feel so self-conscious about how good a student i'm being for them right and so you know having a coach that that is reassuring the student that no this is not an imposition on me i really love doing this and actually yeah i'm going to hang out and talk with you outside of this context when i don't need to be here so that you can really see that that's authentic and the only way that you can get people who can do that week on week is if they're actually like that as people right because you can only sort of you know tense that muscle for so long if it's not something that's kind of a, a you know it's how you are by default so yeah so finding people that are like that anyway um has been a, a really big a really big part of the, the puzzle. And, you know, I haven't always found people that are perfect. I'm not a genius, you know, and I've, I've hired people and they weren't quite right. And then I think as a boss, you have to have the courage to say, you know, this isn't 
working and you have to fire them from the team, which no one ever likes talking about. Everyone likes doing TED Talks about how they inspire people, but you have to fire people sometimes. But, you know, you make sure that they leave with dignity and financial security and with their head held high and with the support they need to do the next thing. And then everyone else sees that that was the respect they were given. So anyway, I just think that that's an important thing that people don't say. And so, okay, I'm hired, Ravi, as surf coach at Surf Simply. How quickly, like, what's the onboarding process? I get the sense, I think I remember this actually, that you embed people with other coaches for a period of time before they're coaching people on their own, right? Yeah, so Harry, our, our one of the other owners and, and our most experienced coach, he actually coaches the other coaches. That's all he does. Um, so when you arrive, the first two weeks, you're just working one-to-one with Harry and you're you're understanding how to do level one coaching. And then you'll you'll go and coach your own person, but you know, you'll, you'll have someone with you um, who's really doing probably 75% of the coaching and giving you the opportunity to step in when you feel confident. That ratio of how much you're doing gradually changes over a few months. And then that process goes on with level two, you'll step back out, take another couple of weeks learning that stuff. And I should actually say that level one, two, three, and four, each one is like exponentially bigger than the last. We always kind of joke, yeah. you can kind of do level one in a week, two in a level two in a month, level three in a year, and level four in a decade, you know, <laughs> surfing every day. Yeah. So they do get bigger, but it takes one of our coaches usually like three to four years from when they join to become like a full level one to four coach where they can coach everything, which is one of the reasons that we have Surf Simply here. Because when I used to coach coaches back in the UK, the biggest problem was that it was just seasonal work and you know people who are really intelligent and capable usually will leave a seasonal job to go and do something where they can have a year-round income and have you know a family and car and house and all that so you know i knew if i wanted to create a really great surf coaching team i needed coaches to be here for 10 20 years and i needed to create a business that paid them year-round and paid them well so that i could get the best people to justify to themselves a career in surf coaching so yeah. that, that was one of the biggest challenges. To get technical for a second on the, the science of learning surfing itself, I've got a bunch of people in my life right now who want to take it up, I think, after watching me for the past few years. And I think it's one thing I struggle with sometimes is like, I don't have kids <laughs> and I have like the flexibility to come down here and be like, I'm here for six months. Like I learned to surf later in life in part because I was here and I was like, I'm going to go out every day and I'm going to work with coaches. So I struggle to give people advice about how to like how long it's going to take and how they should even go about the learning process when they're approaching it as an adult. So I figured I would ask you, which is like you're talking to somebody. Right. And I think like a couple of assumptions we have to make is that you have to be near the water. <laughs> like you, it's like. That's the challenging thing for a lot of people in New York, for example. Is well, like, that, I think that's going to change over the next 10 years. With these wave pools, pools. yeah. That's a different podcast. Yeah, that is. A, actually, we should come back to that because I've, I've now surfed two of them. So I have some experience and I've done one of them many times, the scooting wave pool. So let's come back to that. But under the current conditions, what's your advice? Like if you're laying out advice to people, like how to go about it, how to start, how much time to carve out, like how to think of the timeline. Because one of my assumptions is that you have to layer on reps. It's not the kind of thing that you learn for a couple of days and then you come back to it six months later. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I think that's like going to take you forever to learn surfing because you, your next time you go in, you're going to have to relearn a lot of the things that you learn. Well, I think, first of all, it's good to think about surfing rather than as one sport. It's almost like a collection of different sports, if that makes sense. Because, you know, there's the whole paddling out 
which is a lot like swimming. And then and there's maybe like reading waves, which is a lot like lifeguarding. And then there's standing up on the board, which is a lot more like sort of, you know, skateboarding or snowboarding. So there's all these kind of different things. And, and sometimes you can progress at one because you've got, you've got the opportunity to, to work on that skill where you are, but you might not progress on another. So you, you see people get better at different aspects of surfing at different rates, depending on their fitness and where they live and all that kind of stuff. I think in terms of general principles, and of course, to answer your question, question properly, the answer is, you know, talk, you need to talk to a coach about you specifically because it's yeah. going to be different to everyone. But yeah, working with a coach, I think, I think we should say is number one, if you've got the resources, it's really important. You know, I, I think the, the, the resources that I would point to that are really helpful are you can download our tree of knowledge as a pdf off our website so you can just kind of download that and that gives you quite a good roadmap i think that you know just like all sports it's kind of cheesy but being really fit makes it a lot more fun you know if you're learning soccer or tennis and you just run out of puff after you know 15 minutes it's, it's not going to be as fun so really just trying to get your cardio up and like i run 5k every day you know as well as surfing and I enjoy surfing so much more because of it. Yeah. So doing all of that cross training, especially when like, I'm 45, when you hit 40, there's a sharp fork in the road. Yeah, that's, if you're this, this year for if me. You're not. That's for me this year. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that's really important as well. And the things that you can do that really help in terms of cross training is getting in a pool and doing lengths helps enormously. Spending time on a skateboard, not necessarily doing tricks so that you're going to twist your ankle or your knee or your wrists, but one of those carver boards and just kind of going along, having that those fast twitch muscles that just get used to balancing on something that's wobbly and moving, you know, that helps hugely. When we have people come along who are great swimmers and great skateboarders, they leapfrog forwards much more quickly with their surfing. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. One other thing that I think, I don't know if it's one of our more viewed videos, but I actually think it's one of our most helpful ones for people that haven't surfed before. It's just a five minute video that we put up called uh, How Not to Teach a Surf Lesson. Oh, wow. And it describes how a first surf lesson is often done and how it could be done much better. And the, well, I made the video so that anyone teaching their kids could think about how to teach their kids. But, you know, actually, as someone approaching surfing for the first time, that's five minutes that's really useful. Give me one headline from that, because I'm sure it's kind of funny in a way. Like, what, what, what's one thing that people do that drives you nuts? Well, I mean, to go back to what I was sort of saying at the start of the, of the podcast, classically, people will teach people to stand up instead of how to actually get the board to do what you want it to do, which is a little bit like sitting someone in a car, having them just put their hands on the wheels and look at the windscreen, right? Right. Whereas actually getting the board to do what you want it to do is more, which you may do lying down, is more like pressing the clutch and the brake and the gears and like playing with the wheel and actually understanding how the car works. So that's one. Another one is when people actually stand up a lot of your listeners may be familiar with what we call in surfing the poo stance, the, yes, stance, yeah, the feet pointing apart and the hands yeah. in line with the board, which is fine for getting someone standing up and getting that photo. But again, it's a totally non-functional way of standing on a board and, and you would never see the surfer teaching someone how to do it actually do that themselves. Yeah, there's, a, there's a video of Jack Dorsey. Uh, you might have seen it, uh, a photo of him the other day somewhere oh, yeah. in Costa Rica with something approaching that stance. But what's the fastest you've ever seen anybody, let's say, get to level three? And is there anything that you have gleaned from that other than like somebody being just like physically fit and maybe like having experience in snowboarding and skating? So swimming really helps with your paddling a lot. It is different to paddling though. If you can actually practice paddling and this, this isn't the most fun thing and I'm not yeah. pretending it is, but if you can lie on a surfboard on some flat water and paddle, you're going to get so much better at paddling even than swimming in a pool. Cause when you swim in a pool, you're rolling your body a lot and the strokes are much closer to the center line of your body. Mm -hmm. A couple of people I can think of one lady called Bonnie toy, 
who wrote an amazing book called Why We Swim, which is just a great book as well. But she went out and you know trained really hard, and I saw her surfing leapfrog frog forwards. One of our other guests, who you may have met, a guy called Josh Galatino. Oh, I know Josh. Yeah. He, I, he, most enthusiastic person I've ever met. Yeah. He has improved more with his surfing over the last 10 years than I think anyone I've ever seen. And he started surfing, I think he's like my age. So he started surfing like mid to late 30s. And, you know, he's a legit like longboarder and shortboarder. If yeah. you saw him out in any lineup, you'd think he'd been surfing since he was a kid. So, I mean, he, he's probably your best case study yeah. to just show Bill Finnegan, look, you really can And probably Dennis too, right? Somebody told me Dennis, uh, your former chef at Surf Simply Learned <laughs> late in life too, right? Yeah, Dennis, I just love, I love Dennis so much. He's great. He, he really approached surfing in the, I'm going to just throw myself over every single wave and take any beating that I can and just see where it gets me. So that's not necessarily the approach I would advocate for everyone, but he's had a lot of fun doing it. So, okay. So that, that's reassuring. I think a big question is also what to get out of surfing, right? I think the good thing about surfing is that even if you're not great or even good, the, the winds sometimes aren't even catching the wave, right? It's like you, you paddle out on a day and it's beautiful, right? I was telling somebody yesterday was a good example. I paddled out like, and it was like, I don't know, I don't really go out on afternoons or evenings that often, but I went out and it was just they're like, why'd you go out at that time? And I was like, you know what? The waves looked terrible, but they looked awesome. If you know what I'm saying, they weren't good surfable waves, but it was like the sun was glistening off. I was like, I just kind of want to be back there. And the winds can sometimes be something short of catching the right wave. If you know what I'm saying, just being out there is cool and fun. And just seeing like the same people every day in the lineup, you know, it's like going to like the cheers bar, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I actually have always, both personally and as our business, we've kind of stood slightly apart from surf culture, maybe even in opposition to it. I actually, let me take a step back. I think when I started surfing, there was like the cool, really good surfers at our beach who I always felt like, you know, just thought they were a bit cooler than everyone else just because they surfed really well. Um, and it kind of annoyed me. Yeah. Um, and so I thought, you know, I'd never want us to be that. And the reason why surf certainly has this very playful childlike logo is precisely because we didn't want to be cool. We wanted to be like the nerds. We wanted to be like the stranger things kids, yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> not like not hanging out with the cool kids. So I've always approached it like that. You know, having said that, what I'm going to say next does sound a little cheesy, but I, I do agree. You know, I think being out there in nature is, is obviously wonderful. Without your phone, too. It's one of Without the rare things that you can't bring your phone. I'm sure that at some point in the next two years, there'll be phones now people bring out surfing. But Probably. But so far, it's, it still seems to be like a bit of a sacred place yeah. for connectivity. And, you know, the other thing which you mentioned is the community, like the people that you that you get to know and that especially in a small community like this you know everyone's just out there in amongst it together it doesn't matter where you're from what age you are it's kind of the great leveler uh, and I really like that and it also makes you go to places that you wouldn't otherwise go to you know you fly to Bali and as a non-surfer maybe you stay there but as a surfer you want to jump on that extra plane right. or boat and go and explore that island and even if you don't end up getting any waves you go on this wonderful little adventure that you wouldn't have gone on otherwise adventure is the right word i think often what people are missing in life it's it's one of the you know if you if you read esther perel it's one of the reasons why people cheat on their spouses is they're always looking for a sense of adventure right and often i think people are chasing adventure and i think one of the cool things about surfing is that it gives you a little adventure every day you have like a story you have something that's challenging you're you're trying to conquer something what also makes it amazing is that you could do it pretty late into life and it's why i also picked up tennis recently i put basketball down because i keep hurting myself playing basketball like my sports as a kid were american football and basketball which are not two things that you could really do like at this point i'm kind of maxed out i can't really do those that much anymore so i picked up surfing and tennis because i see 
really old people doing both of those things yeah. and doing it quite well. Like you go out here, you know, the same people I do. There are people out there who are older than my mother who surf way better than I do. And I look at them and I'm like, all right, like, this is a cool thing to pick up later. Oh, you, in life. You, Rafa, you're surfing pretty well. You're doing yourself down. Yeah, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, know, you could do it. Like, and even Bill Finnegan, who we talked about, I was just doing some research for this interview. I was looking at photos of him. What was the way of you, a cloud? Um, cloud break. He yeah. was surfing it like 10 and, years ago. And do you know what was what was lovely after I after I interviewed him for our podcast? And then he emailed, we had a nice little back and forth. He's a lovely guy. We had, we had a nice back and forth. And then he would email me a picture of him surfing at Padang Padang, like real solid Padang Padang. And, you know, he's like a 65-year-old Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, and he's, he's still got that kind of like, hey, check out this picture of me on this wave, you know, which is really the cool. best. And I think... There's nothing better than a good picture on a wave. Oh, yeah. And I think I've heard you talk about this. The picture is always better than the video. People are always asking me, like, hey, like, send me a video. And I'm like, ugh, the no. videos never look as good. Yeah, you can make a um, photo look incredible. But I, I think somewhere where as a society, we've gone just a little bit wrong in terms of kids and sports is that I think we should try to give kids is something that they can do through their whole life as a way of staying fit. And there's an inverse correlation between depression and exercise. So if you can just give the kid of exercise for their life, what an amazing gift. And I think sometimes we get a bit sidetracked worrying about competition and trophies. And right. it's sort of systemically designed into the school system. But And if uh, you could combine exercise and socialization, like, you know, meeting new friends, right? That's the other thing. I mean, I, I read a stat recently that in 2021, one in seven men has no friends. Right. That's down from one in 20 in the, in the 1990s. So, I mean, just that fact that, you know, you and I paddle out here most mornings and- You see the same people. You see Lena, you see yeah. Kai. Yeah. You know, and it, I was telling this to somebody the other day. It's like, I, I, I've been talking about, and we've been talking about in a lot of our podcasts, that data, and, and I noticed it with my own friends. It's like, I have a really tight knit group of friends. I, I feel like I'm lucky to have a higher than average group of friends but they have kids and then they do this and we are like, I'm traveling there, whatever. It's hard to make new friends later in life. Surfing, you know, obviously there's some breaks that are notoriously uninviting, but this is not one of them. Like you go out the same place every day. It's good for your surfing because you like get consistency of waves. But more importantly, you, you see the same people and so much of surfing is waiting anyway. So you just talk to people out there and you learn, pe you learn things from new people. And, oh, I do want to ask, because you're talking about Finnegan's, he wrote about, Kelly Slater wave pool and you mentioned earlier about the wave pools what's your sense of how this is going to change just surfing itself as a sport and particularly like the learning curve on surfing like is it going to help people conquer this faster is it going to be a quite a like a revolution or are there certain problems that you foresee in this in this technology I think it's a really interesting question I think the first thing is that you know all wave pools are not created equal yeah and actually you can't ask that question of wave pools generally you have to ask that question of each different technology because some some of the wave pools are going to have this effect and some of them are going to have that effect so I mean you know the, the Kelly Slater wave pool is going to transform barrel riding because you can get a 14 second barrel you know 10 or 15 times in one day and practice barrel riding and you know, I asked you before if you'd seen the view out from inside the barrel when you were there. And that's really important because the first time it happens, the first time the lip breaks over you, you're so used to that being the end of the ride that you sort of freak out. And actually, in order to get good at tube riding, you know, when you're inside the wave, 
You actually just have to be inside barrels enough that you start to calm down. Just in the same way that when you first catch unbroken waves, the first time it happens, you freak out and actually you just have to get a few under your belt in order for the whole experience to seem like it's slowing down. What's actually happening is your brain is getting better at predicting what's going to happen next. So you have a sense of everything kind of being more manageable. So, you know, that's going to transform that's going to transform tube riding, but that shape of wave, it's very difficult to perform horizontal maneuvers like floaters and cutbacks, which are actually the first maneuvers you need to perform on an unbroken wave. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, you could conceivably have someone learn a, a, a pool like Kelly Slater's and become an expert tube rider, which is usually like a level four plus plus skill, but who can't do a cutback, right? right? So, and then, you know, just as another example, the wave garden ones, you know, we, we had one guy come and stay with us who'd only ever surfed them. And he was actually pretty good at doing little floaters and turns. Um, and he just couldn't catch a wave out in the ocean. And, you know, we, I was talking to him about it. And it's interesting because I was like, well, you know, and he said, it's really frustrating being in the ocean because I can't spend as much time surfing, which kind of is a funny sentence. And then I was just thinking, well, you know, if you want to get really good at riding, a, standing on a board on waves, you know, spend more time in the, in the artificial wave. But yeah, if you want to go around the world surfing at different spots, you've got to learn this skill of being able to deal with this dynamic, unpredictable environment where you're needing to move around and catch waves. So, you know, again, I said before, surfing is actually a collection of skills rather yeah. than one skill. And some people may enjoy one more than the other. And I'm sure there'll be people who just love standing on a board in in our special waves, there'll be people who love, you know, paddling off to those outer reefs and, and that kind of experience of being out in the ocean. I think it's really exciting. I think all of those things are equally valid, by the way. I don't put any one of them above any other. I do wonder if like in 50 years, people look back at people like us and they're like, whoa, you learned to surf in the ocean. I'm sure they'll look in the same way that we look at people who had to learn to take photos with a film camera. Or listening to music on records or something. But yeah, it's. It, I, I'm seeing it in New York. They're building this really. I don't know if you've seen this. They're building a really big, fancy. They call it the Soho House of Surfing. Okay, and it's going to be really annoying. But I'll, <laughs> I'm going to go. But it's yeah. going to be really annoying. I'm sure I'll be there uh, as well. Yeah, yeah, I can't help it. I, I, I really do enjoy going to these places in part because it's like hitting a ball in a batting cage, right? Like if I know I'm coming to to Nosara, I'll be like, oh, I'll go to Scudin a couple nights. Not because it's particularly fun, because you're on the wave for like, you know, it's, you're up there for a couple seconds and you fall off because it's like a literally a concrete pool that you're going to hit the wall and you have to get up. But then you're just used to, like you talk about paddling, right? Like you've got to get yourself in paddle shape if you're going to get in the ocean and catch waves and just popping up. Like a morning like today, I struggle sometimes with these steep waves that are going to close out. I perform better if I had been to the wave pool a little bit and just practice getting up, getting onto your feet faster I mean, that, and faster. That's another you know? very specific skill. And I mean, actually having a surfboard with no fins on it on your bed at home with some pillows under the back of the board so that the board is both pointing downhill so you have the feeling like you're falling forwards and also the board is wobbling you know rather than having it on sturdy ground you know that's a really good and incredibly undignified way to practice coming up but it's you know oh and so you would practice okay let's end on this because i think this is really good technical stuff so give us a few of these things which are like all right, ways out of water to spend your time as a surfer. So, okay, so what you're describing is, okay, put it on, an, on a decline. And so when you're popping up on your surfboard, it's it, we should call it pushing down, you know, because you're really pushing the nose of the board down the wave. And the most common mistake people make when they come up to their feet is their weight goes back for a second, just a second, and the nose of the board goes up and it stalls the board. And then either they lose the wave or they sort of get stuck at the top of the wave as it gets steeper. And then they go over with the wave as it breaks and either, you know, kind of nosedive or get stuck in the white water. So one of the most important skills when you're going from laying to standing, and I prefer to call it that rather than popping up, 
is to keep the nose of the board as close to the water as you can the whole time. And a really good way to practice that is by putting a surfboard on a kind of a bolster so that you have to keep your wave weight forward on the board. Otherwise, the board will... I'm talking about on dry land here. Yeah. So that you have to keep your weight forward as you pop up. Otherwise, the nose lifts up. So you're really having to struggle to keep all that weight over your hands rather than letting it go behind the center point of the board. And so what's the next step then? And so, like, obviously, like, the worry of people and the reason why they don't do that is they're worried about, like, tumbling over. So yeah. what, do you, what do you do from that step? Yeah, so, like you know... You want to keep your weight forward so that as you're going from laying to standing, the board is going down the front of the wave as soon as possible, because with every passing fraction of a second, the wave is getting steeper. And actually, the way to stop your board nose diving is to get down it before it gets too steep. And all our intuitions are, I don't want to nose dive, so I'll put my weight back, which puts the brakes on, which stalls the board, and then means that actually the weight's much steeper when you're trying to catch it, so you're much more likely to nose dive. I love stuff where your intuitions really take you the wrong way right. and you have to think your way through the maze. Well, the other one of those is if you're, if you're feeling like you're going to fall, people often stand up more, right? Like you're like, oh, I'm wobbling and I'm going to like, I'm going to get more upright, right? Mm -hmm. But I think one thing, correct me if I'm wrong, you want to do is actually get a little lower on your board if you're... Well, you certainly, you certainly want to be compressed. I think that's certainly true. I think a more common one is that as people are coming down the front of a wave, they'll often stay lying down because they don't want to stand up until they feel stable and of course the way to be stable is to stand up just in the same way if you were in a car careering out of control just to use the car analogy again you you want to you know grab the wheel and get your feet on the pedal so you can start trying to get it back under control and if you've got a functional stance as opposed to a, just a standing on the board stance you'll you'll want to get into that position so you can control the board which is again is why that first entry level lesson should be about how do you get the board to do what you want it to do rather than just stand on it Otherwise, if you're just standing on it, it's fun for a while, and then it starts to trip you up, backfire on you when you start to deal with those steeper weights. So to summarize on that one, so practicing would be creating that decline, practice going from laying down to standing up and trying to probably get a little bit compressed pretty quickly. Any other sort of out-of-water exercises that you recommend? Oh, I mean, for almost every maneuver in surfing, there, there are exercises that you want to do that, you know, when you're doing cutbacks, for example, which are a level three skill, one of the core level three skills, which is when you're, you're going along the wave in one direction, outrunning the white water and turning the board, doing a horizontal carving turn. I'm, I'm nervous about throwing all these technical Yeah, no, this is good because that's turn. why I saved this for the end. Yeah, for the yeah. true <laughs> so uh, you're turning back towards the white water. You know, the most common thing there is that people will leave their leading arm over their toe rail and look over their shoulder. And I'm sort of showing you this yeah, in yeah. a very non-podcast friendly way right yeah. now. And, you know, and actually you want to open your whole body up. So reaching right round and touching the water with your leading hand so that your chest is open to the way that you want to turn. You know, and practicing that body position by doing things like squats. And then as you come up, you turn to your right, catch a ball, throw it back to someone, go back to forward, squat mm, down. Start. I like that. So, you know, there's, there's, little, there's like little movements you can do for almost every position that you want to normalize for your muscles before you get on a surfboard. Yeah, it, you know, this is maybe a funny way to end it. It's like, I've had this experience because I lift a lot of weights and they're, it's totally useless by and large in the water. And sometimes it's a problem. Yeah, like, sometimes you can end up carrying muscle around that you're not using. Makes you so tired. But I would say the class of lifting that I do find helpful is deadlifts and squats because lower body stability and strength I find very helpful. Upper body is almost useless. Mm. Like, yeah, of course you could paddle stronger, but it's like a fast switch thing. Like, like, yeah, I can probably, if you put me in a race 
with complete rest against somebody, I'm strong enough to paddle really fast for a very short period of time, like almost like a sprint. But at a certain point, I'm going to be more tired than, than anybody, you know, because <laughs> like all that extra weight is not helping. So and, and, and yeah. it's, it's great doing that lower body stuff because you probably spend, you know, 90 to 95% of your time in the water paddling or sitting on the board and like, you know, one to five percent standing on the board but when you are standing on the board you want to have a lot of power in your legs yeah and you're not going to spend enough time standing on the board to get a lot of power in your legs so right. more than anything else you know one, once you get to sort of level three level four surfer doing squats i mean and any other kind of power leg exercise is really really important yeah well i think that's all i have on this tell us where we could find you so surf simply on instagram rue hill what's your what's your instagram handle if um, people my follow? instagram handle is at simply rue hill but it's mostly just me making music on my looper with my niece so yeah surf, surf simply, surf simply on videos instagram. are on instagram and then you have youtube clips surf as well youtube surf simply.com you'll, you'll find all of that stuff and there. if you're interested in visiting the resort if if you want to visit the resort where so we take 12 people each week we usually have a waiting list of about 80 to 100 people each week and we're booked out about 18 months in advance but thank you rude like you've changed my life you're running such an incredible resort and i hope folks check it out either on the internet or in person so thank you so much for having me on the show i really really enjoyed this conversation it was really fun